Shanna Covey, creator and host of Always Shine Brightly. I named this podcast Always Shine Brightly because I believe that is what we are each here to do. And in times where we feel we're not shining bright, I feel it's still our purpose to work through and shift whatever is dimming our light. In this podcast, I'm speaking with guests who I see as bright lights in the world despite any struggles they may have gone through. The more of us who do this, the better the world becomes. Join us on this shared mission to make the world a brighter place. All right, I'm excited to share our next guest with all of you. Today, I have my friend Benita Condi. She is a former professional ballet dancer, project manager, creative manager, creative recruiter, and professional guide for creative people in the advertising industry. Now overflowing with love, passion, bliss, and excitement while guiding people towards radically loved lives. And she does this through her coaching business. She works with individuals and companies to help people radically change their life so that they love all of it, their professional expression, their personal time, and everything is flowing and running seamlessly. So I'm excited, Benita, to have you on today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. I've been following your podcast for a while, so it's an honor. Oh, to, um, thank you. you. And yeah, speaking of that, we have we have lots of mutual friends because we met through a similar course that those who have been following the podcast have heard me introduce other guests as being a part of this course. And we took it a couple of years ago. It was put on by Bentinho Massaro. It was a year-long program called Civilization Upgraders. And it is just, it was an incredible course to help us like transition on an individual level so that we can help to change on a global level, meaning to help strip out everything that is fear-based so that we can anchor in love and light and be here to do what we're here to do from our soul blueprint. And so that is how I met Benita. And I just knew from having shared that time together that you're an awesome guest to have on to share your story to help people relate to, you know, what your experiences are and relate to what they might be living in their own from a point of like making decisions and things like that. I think one of the key things that has been a guiding principle in your life from looking over your bio is the role that intuition has played from as early as as knowing that you wanted to be a ballet dancer to transitioning to other career options to coming to what you're doing today. So First, yep. it's just so exciting that you were a professional ballet dancer. Like we can't even pass up how cool that is. And I can just imagine what, you know, I can't imagine like, what was that like? Like at 17 years old, deciding to move from New York, where, where were you moving from? I was born and raised in Minnetonka, Minnesota. So a suburb of Minneapolis. Oh, okay. Okay. And so kind of like walk us through this role that intuition has played and how, how incredible it is to go like, this is like this this dream of going to New York for so many people and it's idealized in movies and, and so many people are kind of like scared to even like dream at that level or even think that's possible for them. So what was it that was in you that was guiding you to make, make that choice and to make that decision? That's such an interesting question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question <laughs> in that way. That's beautiful. Thank you. Sure. Um, I do think after a few you turns around the sun and people say, I, um, looking back, I've always had a pretty strong intuitive voice, like from 
just like coming in as a being mm-hmm. um, and kind of like a blueprint from a blueprint perspective. And I think my parents would attest to that. I, <laughs> I'm pretty clearly focused on things that I wanted and would go after them. Um, what, was that outside so, of kind of like the rate, like how you were being raised? Were you being raised in like um, kind of the traditional, like go to school, get a good, safe, secure job? Or was it like this real uh-huh. open, you know, or you just had the sense that was already going with your own internal guidance, even with everything around you going in a different direction? Yeah, definitely the latter, though my parents were very supportive, cautiously supportive, mm-hmm. I would say. I think if they hear this, they'll agree. Um, <laughs> they definitely saw that I had this affinity for dancing and that I was, I became very passionate about it around age eight. Up until then, I'd done, well, and after that, for a little bit, I did some other things too. I played some other sports and they like made sure I tried a bunch of different things mm-hmm. and played an instrument and you know I definitely want to call out that you know I came from a, a you know upper middle class white suburban upbringing where I had those privileges mm-hmm. and not everybody in our current systems and structures have those but I did have those and my parents you know wanted to I think um give me a broad spectrum of experience just mm-hmm. to see what resonated so I did have that you know kind of support and foundation when I chose ballet, there was definitely some questioning, I think, from my parents' perspective about, like, how does one have a safe and secure life being right. a dancer and an artist, right? So those questions really did come up, especially as I got into my teen years and it seemed that this passion was not going away. <laughs> and I started to go away to, you know, eight-week-long summer intensive programs in other states on my own at oh, 15 wow. and 16. Yeah, and then, um, and then I, you know... They really wanted me to go to college, of course, right out of high school, and I really wanted to go dance. And so we went to look um, at colleges, and I had some really supportive guidance counselors in high school. So that's a common thread in this story is is also finding your advocates and Mm -hmm. finding people Mm -hmm. who support your vision and can maybe help create communications for others and, like, bridge the gap of understanding so I think I have a, a bit of an intuitive ability to seek out those people who can help and support a vision in life mm-hmm. and bring it to life. So those people helped my parents see that there would be great benefit in allowing me to pursue this like artistic dream. And then I we visited colleges and I would go and dance for the dance department as sort of a way to show my parents that maybe I shouldn't dance in a college dance program, but in this pre-professional program in New York City and that's what happened. All of the directors would say to my parents, "We should go let her dance in New York." Wow, that's so, <laughs> so cool! I found ways <laughs> to help bolster my position on the matter, um, and so that was definitely following my truth and my highest excitement before I had words. For right, doing that that's and incredible. an understanding of how that works. That um, that is so cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, there were definitely moments, you know, I didn't want to move to New York City at first. I had my eye on a couple of other companies or a couple of other cities that had um, really wonderful ballet, you know, companies where I thought I might want to dance that might feel more comparable to my experience in Minneapolis. But I was given a scholarship to dance in a summer program at a school in New York City, and it just made me really excited. Um, And I thought, you know what, I want to go try it and at least just see for the summer. And the minute that plane landed and we drove into New York City from the airport, I just knew. Uh Like, I was so energized by that city. I wanted to be there. 
and I didn't look back. I found a way to graduate from high school early and I moved like just as I just turned to 18. That is cool. And what is something I really want to underscore for people is just that you're you keep mentioning how you followed your excitement. And I think that when we're when we're growing up, we tend to follow our excitement and getting into our hobbies and, and whatever that might be, if it's playing sports, if it's dancing, if it's something totally different, we're we're like accustomed to being gravi- to gravitate towards this excitement and what 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 um, kind of speaks to us on a, on a heart level or soul level. And society so often just kind of overrides that, like the assumption is at a certain point in time, you have to set that aside and go into, you know, the real world as as some would quote that. And I love that you followed your excitement and you kept following it and you kept following it and you didn't let those things stop you from it. So I just encourage people to think about what excites them and to keep and, yeah. and to allow that to pull forward that thread is, is a part of your, your blueprint that's speaking to you from your soul, like, hey, this excites you for a reason, whatever it may be. And the more that you can keep yourself in that energy of excitement, the more you can flow towards opportunity and the more things will be magnetized to you to support you in that. Like, for instance, in your story, how you were, I think you were magnetizing support towards you, like people that were confirming what it was that was in your heart. And I bet you didn't really have much fear or doubt that was trying to pick up on someone telling you no. And so I think what often happens is people have that fear and doubt in them. And as soon as they hear the no, it confirms that and they kind of shut down and the the excitement around what they want to do starts to, to, to go down a level, then that keeps going down and keeps going down. So staying in some, staying in your excitement is just so important. And I feel like, yes, it led you to dance. and, And as it shares in your bio, you, that was from like 17 to 22. And at that point, something else happens. Like you have this other guidance. And I, and I feel like as you go through your life, there's this common thread of this excited me and this intuitively spoke to me. So, so what happens next? Yeah. So, and it's such a beautiful description of that experience of following excitement and then continuing to honor it, even when the world around us might be, um, you know, asking us to question it or, you know, suggesting that, no, there's a more practical approach or what, and what's really happening in those scenarios is the person that is reflecting that back to you. They're reflecting their own fears and lack mm-hmm. beliefs. Mm-hmm. It rarely ever has anything to do with you. If you're truly expressing your excitement and you want to go do something that somebody else is questioning, if they're questioning it, it has to do with their own fear and, and them not being able to imagine themselves doing something like that. So, yeah, I, I talk about that a lot with clients in terms of, you know, making a pivot, you know, mm-hmm. creating a new path and that they might get some, you know, resistance from those around them who can't quite imagine that path for themselves. And that's OK, but you can still continue on, you know, with integrity and have conversations with people and then go do it and they'll see that you're fine. And then that all goes away. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'm sure that's a common thread with what you're working with clients on. Like, I'm sure most people win. They have this sense that they want to change their life, but they may not be accustomed to following that that inner excitement or that inner knowing. And they, you know, like that's going to take some rebuilding of our breaking down on belief systems and rebuilding new ones. So I imagine yeah. that's a common thread with what's going on. But I love that, you know, people are finding finding people like you or people like me to help with that transition. 
Yeah, that's the really is I sense, and I know you've been feeling it too, as we all have collectively from that group we were in a couple of years ago. Like you feel the collective consciousness rising, and more and more people questioning what fulfillment means, or mm-hmm. what living a purposeful life or a life aligned to a calling, or something that just feels more exciting or more expansive, and more and more people are questioning this, um, and then seeking out help and support to bring it to life. So. Exactly. Yeah, it's awesome. To answer your question, um, I had danced, yeah, until I was, um, you know, like 21, 21 and at this particular school, and I really wanted to get into their professional company. And I knew to do that, I needed to go all in. Mm-hmm. And that meant losing some weight. That meant, like, giving my 100% focus and attention to it and, like, Get, like manifest it like I'm going mm-hmm. to go get this now I really wanted I want it was kind of like I was getting to an age in that career where if you're not in a company by the time you're in your early 20s that's late you know mm-hmm. and so I knew I was kind of hitting my expiration date at least in my very black and white thinking about it at the mm-hmm. time which is something I've now come to see when I look back and like oh my gosh I mean it was perfect for what's played out for the rest of my life but I was so limited in my mm-hmm. thinking about how dance could be a mm-hmm. part of my life I saw it, you know, as only one way and there was a real perfectionist mentality. And so it was really, really hard on myself. And so I did all the things. I lost the weight. I did all this additional like strength training and work on my body. I healed an injury and they did then ask me to apprentice with the company and I was to go do the nutcracker with them. And I got into rehearsals and I couldn't remember any of the choreography and I was really Mm. struggling. And I just thought, what is going on? And And there was a moment where I was sitting on the floor in the studio before class one morning, which is ballet dancers take like a, like a standard class every morning to warm up their body Mm. before you move into rehearsals. And I just, a very loud voice. It's the loudest intuitive moment I've ever had in my life, which felt like a a voice from outside my body Mm -hmm. came into my head and said, get up and leave now. Wow. And then I sat there for a second and then it, said it again mm. and I was like I have to get up and leave now like I can't not listen to that and I sort of you know started crying and I walked out the door and I said goodbye to my teacher and she said she understood and I went down and I let the directors know that I was quitting and they said it happens all the time and ballet will be here for you for the rest of your life go mm. live your life and I was like oh this happens all the time <laughs> I never considered quitting so I didn't realize that like oh, such a small percentage of people actually continue on to a professional career like didn't hit yeah. me until then oh wow and so it was this very loud moment of intuition and I had been cultivating a career in the fitness industry and so I saw a way out I think that was like you know my my higher self was taking care of me at that point to mm-hmm. already be pointing me into a new direction and mm-hmm. so I went home and I ate a big meal and I went to sleep and I became a personal, I was already a personal mm-hmm. trainer, but I was, I went and started training people full time as a personal trainer. Oh, wow. And then with, with the kind of the things that you were sharing earlier with wanting to change your body before choosing to, to walk out of the ballet studio, when you were wanting to change your body to lose weight, to strength train, did that have ramifications? Like, was that, was your time as a ballet dancer, did you have ramifications like around body issue like was that a part of your story of having to deal with some of that being in something Mm -hmm. that was so used to utilizing the body and it needing to look a certain way and that kind of thing yeah absolutely it definitely took some time to heal from that and it was 
subtle in certain ways and more pointed in other ways. I mean, during that period of time that I lost a lot of the weight and really like looked the way that, you know, the industry would prefer, I did that in a pretty unhealthy way. It was really restrictive and I would label it as exercise bulimia where I Mm. figured I calculated roughly my average calorie burn count a day and I would exercise more than I ate. Mm -hmm. So I knew I was kind of always in calorie deficit and that way I knew I was going to be losing weight more than I would gain weight. And so I definitely like took a sort of personal trainer approach to being a ballet dancer for a period of time Mm -hmm. um, in a very unhealthy way. That is by no means the way most personal trainers work. But I like, I, um, I like hacked the information to like use it in an unhealthy way to get a very quick result that was unsustainable. And the reason why I couldn't remember the choreography was because um, I was not feeding myself enough. So only years later, like literally in the last three years, it hit me one day in this like next awakening period, which we'll get to. I was like, oh, that's why I was struggling so much in those months when all of this was happening. It was like a couple of months because I was starving myself. Mm. I couldn't remember the choreography because I was so unhealthy. Wow. Oh, like, so it's funny, like, when we have revelations as we're healing other parts of ourselves or in other parts of our lives, we can then connect mm-hmm. and like love and empathize with something that we like just didn't have perspective on from the past. So I'm still healing from that to answer your question. <laughs> and um, no longer in like my relationship with food at all. That is very in a very neutral, like intuitive place, which we can talk about um, in terms of like later sure. parts of my life. Mm-hmm. But the main thing that I noticed when I quit dancing, because you spend about eight hours a day when you're dancing in a more like professional mm-hmm. dynamic, you're spending eight hours a day looking at yourself in the mirror. Wow. Now just think about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's really like, me until and thinking about like, quit. yeah, I was just thinking really quickly and thinking about kind of the spiritual journey, how a lot of it is to shift from body consciousness to soul consciousness. And as you're saying, you're like, Yes, you have this intuitive element that's alive and that spiritual component that's alive, but then you're constantly looking in a mirror at a body. Like, I wonder how yep. how that plays out, you know? Very in the body, very much believing you're the body and very much believing that you need to control that body. And I didn't have the spiritual tools and understanding to transcend that. And I think some people who are very, very successful in anything related to the body find mentors or coaches or guides in their life, whether it's a parent or whomever, that do give them some of those tools to be able to transcend the identification with the body so much that it becomes obsessive. If Mm -hmm. you can transcend that while you're doing an activity like that, I mean, we see it in very successful people in sports and et cetera. Like if you can get to a very mindful witnessing place of that activity then it's super powerful because you can use all of the physical gifts and training you have and done and then not hold on to it too tightly. Mm -hmm. Like that's super Mm -hmm. powerful. But I was, I was at a point in my life where I was clenching for Mm -hmm. sure and like controlling and and, in that place of black and white perfectionism. And so I had to leave to be able to experience more of life, to grow, to evolve, to awaken to more of the truth of myself. That I love that. I love that you recognize that now. And, and like you said earlier, so much of it is we see this in retrospect, we connect, you know, we connect the dots in retrospect. So let's like, I want you to take the story forward at, at whatever level of a jump you want to take. But how, where, where does the intuition play out in the next realm? And where does 
kind of the spiritual journey start to kick in or, or where does it become more than listening to this intuitive voice? Nice. Great question. Um, there were like two elements in my life that, that started two or three that started to play out that sort of collided or coalesced, like came together in a moment where like a more really clear awakening happened for me. And I had always felt relatively spiritually connected to something greater than myself. But during a period of time, I'd say from after quitting dancing through to like for like a 10 year period, I would say I kind of using spiritual language, I went into a more veiled period of like person exploration. Okay. I started drinking and using drugs. I, you know, mm-hmm. created this whole amazing career in fitness for a few years, like four or five years, I guess, and then transitioned into being more of like a manager, of creative people in various different forms, and then into the advertising industry doing that. And I found wonderful, fulfilling, like light bulb going off moments around the absolutely loving working with creative people in an environment where you're making creative work and things together that you put out into the world. Like all of that was ticking a ton of boxes for me, but on a soul level, I would say I was feeling quite lost. Um, I met my husband during this time and we were dating during that period and we were having a ton of fun and we were in New York city and we Mm -hmm. were going to clubs and hanging out with our friends and, I needed all of those experiences. I had mm-hmm. definitely not experienced as much of that in my teens because I had been so focused and right. dedicated um, to my ballet career. So it was definitely a time of like, some people might call it a period of rebellion. It was really a period of expansion for me, but in this like one direction of wanting to know about people. I wanted to like experience really diverse groups of people in really diverse ways using various different substances that i Mm-hmm. wouldn't have necessarily allowed myself to before. I wanted to accept myself more. I think it was really a journey of like experiencing a lot of different things to then be able to accept myself more within mm. all of those. Mm-hmm. When I look back now and that, that was like a theme throughout and like processing things with you know, certain friends during that period. But the next like really key moment was, you know, being in the advertising industry for a while I, um, you know, was, you know, a lot of things on paper looked like they were going really well in my life. I had gotten married, so I was married um, for a year to my husband when just the alcohol and the drug use, I mm-hmm. wanted to stop and I felt I couldn't on my own. Mm-hmm. I had tried to control it. I had tried to drink less. I had tried to stop the other things mm-hmm. and I just couldn't. Like I kept going back to it throughout that first year of our marriage, which was the year I really wanted to show myself I could stop because I ultimately wanted to be a parent. Mm-hmm. And so that, whether you call that a part of my blueprint or you call it a, you know, a deeply rooted sort of like intuitive desire mm-hmm. or whether it's just primal <laughs> and it was alive in me to reproduce mm-hmm. and all, maybe all of those things together. Like I really did want to be a parent and I knew I could not parent the way I was like operating mm-hmm. in the world. I just, for me, and the, maybe it was because of the modeling I had from my parents who just really weren't engaged with alcohol and drugs, mm-hmm. no drugs at all, but they like they hardly drank either. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't imagine parenting based on the experiences I had had with parenting. I was like, there's no way I can do this yeah. uh, the way that I am, you know, engaging in the world. So I think something needs to change. And it was like 
in my background, in my like subconscious throughout that year. And then there was just a night out like any other night and which is kind of, you know, the thing about sobriety is sometimes it hits in a moment of grace. You mm-hmm. know, you're just ready. You want to change and you're, you desire freedom more than continuing on with what you've been doing, even though it might be scary to make that change. And so I connected with my, um, the company I was working for at the time and I asked if they could help me. Um, and they took me to rehab that day. And so I got sober 13 years ago, over 13 years ago now. Congratulations. That's awesome. That was another thank you. That was another one of those moments where it wasn't as loud of a voice because I think it was somewhat like numbed and muddled, but there was definitely a voice over the course of a few year <laughs> period that definitely that last year that was like, this needs to stop. Like this needs yeah. to change. You need to get help. Like there was like variations of those, that conversation with like my higher self and my person self saying like, when you're ready, <laughs> <laughs> this needs to change. And, you know, just, and then it was more of that intuitive knowing that if I ask for help again and I reach out and I find people who will reflect back to me, mm-hmm. like, yes, we'll help you go do this. It will happen. And it did. Well, what, um, I, what I think is I'm powerful, so for it. what I think is powerful about what you're sharing about your experience is that you didn't like hit rock bottom per se in the way that some people describe it. And then just be like, oh my God, I have to make a change. It was like you were swirling in these thoughts of like, I want to make a a change. I desire to make a change and thinking about how you wanted to be a parent and who you wanted to be as a mother. Like I find that very fascinating that all that those thoughts were like already swirling in your awareness, penetrating and that it wasn't like a total rock bottom moment where people have, you know, like it wasn't an intervention by someone else. It was really like this. um, I mean, I, you could really relate that to, um, to a spiritual journey of coming out of fear into love, there's always yeah. that you got like I'm I have a course in miracles as a foundation and a lot of it is just being open and willing for a change to see differently. And it's the constant being open, being willing. It's not like this one knock on the head that changes at all, though that can happen for some people. But um I just found that I found that really fascinating in your story that you were you're having that conversation in, with your higher self and, and you were feeling it and you just just hadn't had that moment where it was such a desire that the change had to occur until it did, which is how change happens, right? That is how it happens. And I think you illustrate some really beautiful details in there that are important. You know, I find in sharing so openly as I do about my sober journey is that obviously, you know, we're all unique individuals and all of our lives look different and unique. And so we know that to be true, but people forget about that sometimes because of like how sobriety or people who identify as recovering alcoholics or addicts or people who identify as people who abstain, however they identify, they don't use those substances anymore. There's a lot of like sort of um, stereotypical examples of what that might look like that, that, put it into an extreme version, Mm -hmm. right? Like you said, like losing all the things, right? Mm -hmm. Like not having a job, maybe not being able to um, pay for your rent anymore. So you become homeless, right? And Mm -hmm. there's the, or your, you know, mortgage or whatever it might be, right? So there's this idea of like, sort of like down and out homelessness that's related to alcoholism and drug addiction that leave a lot of people who don't get to that point unsure if they maybe 
might need help mm -hmm. to stop or that they might want to explore stopping. So I think that that was a really key point. Yeah, like I had a job, I was married. My family had no idea. Mm -hmm. Like they maybe had a little idea that I drank a little bit too much sometimes at that <laughs> yeah. point in my life, but that was about as much as I let them see. So I lived this like triple life. You know, like yeah. I had certain friends that I partied with. I had certain friends at work that knew I drank a little bit more and maybe did a couple things but didn't really know. And then I had like my friends who didn't know and my family who didn't know much. And so that's exhausting. Yeah, I was going to gonna say that has to be its own set of pressure. Oh, it's just awful. You know, it's, you're so not a whole integrated being. Mm -hmm. You're these very fractured parts of yourself. So I just wanted to call that point out that like, yeah, I had all of those things, but like, was I on the verge of potentially losing my very new marriage? Yes. Mm. Were people at work questioning my like mood swings and my like kind of emotional behavior mm -hmm. and calling up sick more often because I, they didn't know I was hungover, but that's what was actually happening. Mm. Yeah. Like there, there was that, it was like fraying around the edges and everybody has a different level of like crossing boundaries that they set for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I was just starting to cross enough of them that I knew it was untenable. And then I would probably lose those things. So some people, that moment of grace comes before you lose them. And for other people, mm -hmm. it is in the losing of the things that mm -hmm. create catalyst for that moment of grace to come. Mm, that's a good point. I love that. I love just like seeing that, that making the point about the variation of when it can occur. Uh, so and, it, and go ahead. to your point earlier about the spiritual journey, it's the same on the spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. It's just where are we at that point where we're in enough pain, mm -hmm. <laughs> like pain is the great motivator mm -hmm. that we are sick of ourselves enough that we are willing to surrender to whatever it is, a new message, um, something that has just come mm -hmm. in intuitively that we're like, oh, I'm going to read that thing today. Or I'm going to watch that video or I'm going to call that friend or whatever it is yes. that we are like willing to let in that then changes the trajectory of our path. That's so true. And so when did you go into a recovery program? And if so, did that play into a deepening of your spiritual journey or not? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. The moment that I called my office and said, you know, can somebody talk to me this morning? I need help. And then I went in to meet with them. I got in a cab. I was living in New York City at the time. And I got in a cab to go over to meet with them. And I prayed the whole way. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I had prayed since probably since I was a teenager. Wow. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I had conscious, a conscious sense. But now I look back and see what was happening. And I was. I was opening myself up to a power greater than myself, mm -hmm. whatever it was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, but I was just like, whatever's out there help right now, because I don't want to like tell this cab to turn around. I don't want to chicken out, mm -hmm. like help me get there. I remember that was my prayer. It was just like, please help me get there. Please oh. help me get there. Um, so that was like, a, a, some people will describe that as a little bit of like a lightning bolt moment mm -hmm. where you're like, you just in a moment of absolute need you pray and it opens something up that mm -hmm. is maybe that i i closed you know mm -hmm. um the universe was always there right uh, but i went through a period of time you let in. I was preserving <laughs> that connection um and then in going india yeah, i went into a residential program so i was in rehab for 32 days mm -hmm. and um I prayed, I got on my knees and prayed and I got there. I hadn't gotten on my knees and prayed. And I don't know if somebody, I don't think anybody told me to do that. Mm -hmm. I just did it. Um, maybe I remember doing that as a child or something. And then I took in everything that they offered. 
if wow. they talked about mm-hmm. this like spiritual connection through because it was a 12 step based program. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of as much as I share on that front mm-hmm. um, just to maintain the tradition of anonymity and like, okay, specifics. Sure. But um, I did that program. I came out and took all of the suggestions from there and applied it to involving myself in 12 step programs. And then I was also involved in um, intensive outpatient programs. Okay for I don't know how many months, maybe like six months or something as well. And like all of, I was like, give it to me. Like yeah. it's the way I had approached ballet. I was like, I'm really You're all in. <laughs> I am kind of an all in type of person. Um, and I'm so, I, I did that and it was massive, massive spiritual awakening. Like, oh, I'm not alone in this. And wow. oh, I don't have to do all of this myself. And oh, I can ask for help and amazing inspiration comes. And oh, I am so much more than I was believing myself to be because what happens is when you surrender to like one aspect of yourself, Mm -hmm. let's say like I am powerless over alcohol. Mm -hmm. Oh, but that means that I can then do a steamable act or gain a sense of self-esteem or create one that maybe didn't even exist to begin with and then show up in the world from a place of being of service to others. Mm. And Oh, like, this is how community works. This mm. is how oneness works. This is, I just didn't have, I wasn't plugged into that. I was really, right. I went through like that late twenties into my early thirties period, really thinking or early twenties to early thirties, really thinking I had to do it all myself. Like yeah. that hyper individualism that we experience certainly in the United States, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, other cultures experience it as well. I really took that in. Like I thought that that was the way to prove that you were safe and okay in the world. And it's exhausting and it's false. Like it's just, you just are on that hamster wheel until something burns out. I think, I mean, in my own experience, it happened with me with just following a script from what society had prescribed as this is what's going to work to keep you safe. And I didn't grow up with a spiritual relationship that all came later. And so it was, it is like you're, you're on your own and you're following the script and it's like, what, well, wait, <laughs> the script is no longer fitting me and I've got right. to change it. And then that, and in my personal journey, that's what started to open me up. But I think a lot of people are just on that in this, in this paradigm of thinking and their, in their situation isn't so bad that it's requiring a, major change. I mean, they could look into it, but they just haven't been pushed to that level yet. And so they keep kind of like hobbling along. <laughs> like That's it's right. good There's enough or you have, like, yeah, you have enough distractions that keep you like not looking at changing situations and you're entertained enough, you know, maybe you don't love your job, but the weekend comes and you do some fun stuff and then you start again. And by the time you're fed up with it, the weekend comes and you're like, Oh, it's okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think that's a part of that component that you've been talking about in terms of intuitive voice is I think there's been a part of me always that has had, gratefully, a lower tolerance for a certain level of discomfort in Mm, my life. That's a good point. Like, when I get to a certain place of discomfort, it's like, no, (laughs) this has to change. Now, I think for that 10-year period, I was able to find a lot of really, like, compelling and appealing ways like whether it was workaholism and like you know like Mm -hmm. moving through a career path and that was a big distraction or just all of the social pieces and drinking and and experimenting with drugs those Mm -hmm. distractions relationships all that kind of stuff 
like you said, in the construct of like just following a certain path, like from a New York City perspective, I was doing well from a career. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were engaging in the same types of social activities I was engaging in. So that didn't seem like it was anything wrong mm-hmm. with that necessarily, though in other parts of the country that maybe would have been deemed uh-huh. a little extreme. Sure. Um, you know, and that, yeah, it had a relationship that was growing and then, you know, we were engaged and got married. So yeah, like you can look at these, look at all of that. That's all construct. That's mm-hmm. all belief and mm-hmm. what you assign to it or don't. And if you do follow a path that's been carved out before you that somebody else has done and you're following it because it, it alludes to the sense of safety and security, though it is totally just illusory and not mm-hmm. true, you do, I would say almost everybody I work with, every client, or I have lots of conversations with people about this theme, there is a moment where you wake up to that being an illusion, whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, everybody's circumstance is different around that, and you're like, oh, is this it? Like, <laughs> no, no, this is not what you told me. This is not what I was promised. This is not what I thought people were talking about when they talked about living a full and fulfilling life. Right. Oh, okay, now I I guess I'm being, I'm asking myself to go investigate what that is and seek, which I like that word in relationship to that mm-hmm. moment, right? Like I'm going to go then seek the way that actually is most aligned for me. And that can be super scary because we're conditioned to believe we're supposed to do it the way other people have done it. Right. And then we have this like safety thinking of like, well, everyone else is doing it. Like there's a consensus of reality around that thinking. And so to step outside of it is like stepping outside of the tribe. And so. Right. And then that's fear bait, right? Then all of a sudden you're like, I'm back to being alone again. Right. Right. And then you realize you just have to find your tribe. Exactly. (laughs) living life from this place right and then you're like okay no I'm not alone there's a group of people who are supportive of my unique path but yeah it's oh it's a fascinating moment I mean that moment for me really came then when I left the corporate world so that was like yeah. the next let's let's talk about um, that because I think you spent well over 17 years on the yeah. on the corporate side of your of your of your um work resume <laughs> yep so yeah, so you have was, that you've like 17 years and it seems like just from what I've read on your bio it seems like you know when you didn't you went into it from a joyful perspective from of this was my next radically loved step from mm-hmm. it wasn't when I left the corporate world I was just like ugh, I can't do this <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think I ever felt very connected to it so I love that you had alignment with it to a degree and that you, then you make yep. changes once that alignment's not there. So that goes with that intuition speaking to you from such an early age and be guiding you in so many different decisions. So let's talk about that transition from that 17 year time frame into what you're doing now. Yeah, that's such a nuanced point that you've pulled out. That's really cool that there was a moment when I found managing people, like working with people and organizing people, whether from a project management perspective or like a resourcing people. So like who's working on what projects perspective, like a light bulb went off for me. I was like, Oh, this is like working together with a group of creative people Mm -hmm. creating a dance piece. You know, it's like, I could see these parallels that like ticked enough boxes for me from a fulfillment perspective that it did. I, I did ride that for a while and and just so love anything to do with creative people in general. Mm-hmm. So that was very fulfilling. Um, but what came 
to happen. And like over time, especially after the 2008 to 10 recession, Mm -hmm. the industry tightened a lot. Um, And then there was like the influx of digital communications and marketing and advertising through all of those multiple lenses really brought in this sense of like, everything can be done more quickly. Everything can be done, you know, cheaply or less expensively (laughs) and everything, you know, and we can do it all with fewer people. And and when that contraction was felt, I really felt it affect people's hearts. And I don't know if I necessarily had words for that in those moments, like in those first few years after that, but around like, I don't know, like 2014, 15, I was definitely feeling it. And I would say to myself, like, where's the love in all of this? Yeah. Like, it's so fear-based. Again, I don't know if I necessarily had words for that, but I would say things like it's all profit-based. It's all based on, like, all of these big brands that all of these advertising agencies are creating work for are fearful. They are Mm -hmm. afraid if they are in the top position, they're afraid of losing that, you know, competitive position in the market. And if they're an underdog, they're wanting to just increase and like grow exponentially. And so like growth for growth sake, more is better, like exponential growth, profits for shareholders are the like purpose. Yeah. Well, you start to look at that and then from the language you and I have now, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, that's 100% fear-based lack belief based and scarcity based for sure holy cow if you've got hundreds of thousands of people working in a system based on that well no wonder everybody's miserable <laughs> yes i love that you had a sense of, of that you started to pick up on it rather like you said you didn't have the words for it but you were sensing it something in your being was like Mm-mm, this is not aligning Absolutely, because I would see it reflected in people. I would sit with people. I love to hear people's stories. And so as a recruiter, I would definitely get feedback that, like, I took too long and I was too detailed and I, like, <laughs> got too deep into people's stories. And I was like, well, but that's the part I love. Yeah, so you're like, That's hmm. the part I'm going to do. <laughs> that and, sounds um, like a future coach. You just didn't know it. <laughs> right? I did not know at all, which is so funny. When that emerged, it was like, oh, right, because this is, like, when we talk about modality and the way in which we do what we do and you get really clear on that part and the rest falls away, you're like, oh, right, this really has been my highest excitement. has been connecting with the people. Mm-hmm. So I knew that part that sustained me, but the construct and the system and structure with, within, you know, that I was working in, that part was not aligning anymore. And then I'd been sober for 10 years and I was at a pinnacle place with awesome people it was a great job that, you know, I think anybody after, you know, a career of doing things I'd done would be like, yes, that's the place that you go and stay for a while. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there were just certain elements that weren't aligning for me. And um, I got some really clear messaging around that. And I had been following a couple of people who were on a very expansive, like, I would say spiritual journey and I was witnessing that on social media and following them. And they actually had a podcast and I was listening to it during that time. And they interviewed, you know, they were interviewing mm-hmm. people in kind of Bentinho Massaro's sphere. This is Stephen and, and Teresa? That were, yes. Okay. And Teresa. Um, and I knew them from our life in Brooklyn together before they had moved. And so I just knew them and they were like playing around again in my consciousness. It was there, but mm-hmm. I wasn't sure And then I knew I wanted to quit this job. And so I reached out to them like within those weeks that I was considering leaving. And I was like, if I leave this job, can I hire you guys as coaches? Because I want what you have (laughs) and I want to explore this. And they were, we had a call and they were like, yes, we can help you. We're here for you. And 
so knowing I had them again, and I've learned this from my sober community that like you can ask people for help. And when you do that, amazing things happen, like miracles happen and you're not alone. And so I had, you know, built up those muscles in my life, you know, to do that without too much fear. And, um, I, I won't lie, like those two weeks and I was like getting in information from the company and then looking at my role there and then deciding I wanted to leave. It was super emotional. It was scary. Sure. I cried. I of course talked to my husband about like, we've got, we had three months of savings. We were living in Brooklyn and New York city. Right. At that point, our son was seven years old oh, wow. and like there were bills to pay. You know, yeah. there's all these like 3d circumstantial yes. things that could make doing that. Like the mind immediately goes, well then into how, mm-hmm. how are you going to take time off? How are you going to do this? Right. So thank goodness I had people like Teresa and Stephen to help me walk through some of that stuff and see the abundance that was available to me that I maybe wouldn't have otherwise seen to see where I had support to like play the tape out all the way through and like worst case scenario we go move in with my parents or something Mm -hmm. well that actually like and I know not everybody has that privilege so I'm very clear when I call these things out I certainly had um, a fallback to my mind so my mind could get quite quiet in that regard and go no just again now trust your intuition because yeah. I felt and if people could see me visually though you can imagine it like I have my two hands in front of my center like my core my belly and I felt I was being pulled to the right like there was this energy that was just pulling me someplace else that I, I didn't know so it was less words this time following the intuition and it was very physical mm. a very physical experience of being pulled to the right and I was like I guess I'm being pulled to some other expression of this and I don't know what it is and then the yeah, Teresa and Stephen were like yep we don't know what it is let's just go on this journey together and um, they had me dancing again so I got back oh, in the wow. studio for the first time in 20 years oh. I was so afraid of that experience that was not that was like heart, mind, body blowing, like uh-huh. my body, spirit, transformative. Like I really, all parts of me seem to kind of come together That's in doing cool. that. And I was kind to myself and it was joyful and it was thrilling. You know, mm. I was really like, Oh my God, I'm moving to live music in a studio again. <laughs> and it's okay. I'm not beating myself. I'm not horrible to myself. Like, wow, things have changed. So it was, it opened up a part of my creativity in my brain that had been shut down because, and I think this is a helpful example for people. Like I worked in the advertising industry, which is very labeled as a highly creative, mm-hmm. just like on the highly creative end of the corporate world. Right. Like right. It's certainly much more free than in other, you know, um, sectors of the corporate world. Sure. But it, like any system and structure, you like fit into your swim lane and then you're supposed to stay there yes. and you start to believe you are that, right? So mm-hmm. I believe that I wasn't creative, that I was better at facilitating for others, mm. that I didn't have my own vision, that um, I, uh, the word entrepreneur was totally triggering to me. I still don't really <laughs> identify as an entrepreneur, yeah. but like to have my own business yeah. is like, what? No, no. I will always work for someone else. I said these things to Teresa and Steven and they just like looked at me through the screen and like, <laughs> cause we were, they were in California and I was in New York. So uh-huh. we were doing Zoom back then or whatever face or FaceTime or Skype. And we just nodded each other and they were like, yeah, okay, well, <laughs> let's do this other thing. And it was awesome because they would just be like, okay, we hear you. And then months later, we could all look back and laugh because I finally wrapped up my role, my full-time role. I had a notice period that I chose to continue to work out because mm. it gave me some mm-hmm. runway. 
and so you can make those choices, right? It's mm-hmm. not like ripping the Band-Aid off. I think, like, the mind wants to imagine a transition like this being really dramatic, mm-hmm. and it was not. It was oh, literally okay. day by day. I mean, it was dramatic in the sense that I went from, like, having a full-time job to having my own business in about three months. And yeah, I know it doesn't happen that quickly. That is fast, <laughs> but I guess on the, on, on the front side of it, you don't know that. No, I didn't know any of that. And I didn't know that some clarity would come along the way. So I thought it might be a much longer process and didn't know, like was willing to not know. And you really just do it all a day at a time. Like I'm going to wake up today and now do these things that feel most exciting or in alignment. Mm -hmm. And they were obviously my guides in understanding how that works and in following intuition in my everyday life. So as you and I have been talking about, there are these key moments mm-hmm. where I really listened to it and followed it in like these like fork in the road moments. But what if you employ that in day to day? Like, mm. well, I don't know where, which way am I going to walk today? Yeah. Or what food am I going to eat when I go down to the kitchen and make, you know, like have choices or what content am I going to take in or who am I going to talk to today? And I started to, they showed me like, Hey, you can do this and all this stuff. And I simultaneously and not actually at their urging at all. I've just listened to their podcast interviews that I started to do Ventinio Masaro's Transfinity Academy hmm. at the same time. Very cool. And so it was this incredible like layering of their support and putting these things into everyday practice. And they were pretty well versed in his material as well. And then it was like playing with following intuition and then, you know, his messaging that would like support the stuff I was experiencing. And it was like, oh, That's- oh. And let me let me just interject for listeners really quickly. The the mention of Trinfinity Academy, just let listeners out there. You've heard me mention Bentinho Massaro many times on various podcasts, depending on who I'm interviewing. Um, His Trinfinity Academy is free to the public to take online. So if you Google that, you'll be able to find it. And there's two different paths. One goes through self-actualization, which is more the empowerment path. And one goes through self-realization, which is like the um, more deeper inner journey of, well, I don't need to go there, but whatever one is resonating with you, you can take those paths or go both because they all ultimately end up at the same place. So I just wanted to plug that since it's a free resource for people. Yeah. For those who are called to it or those who watch the first video and it resonates like, yeah, go continue on explore there. For me, it was, um, you know, I'm, I'm, infinitely grateful to Bentinho and his mm-hmm. message and the way he distills information very efficiently. And so for the, that moment in time and for where I was, I was able to hear it. And um, awesome. I think that's why it all happened at a fairly accelerated path or that was definitely an influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a whole month off um, finally, like out of the day to day of going mm-hmm. into the office and um, I meditated a lot and I, did a ton of yoga and like these are things that just like I think they can sound like really cliche things that a lot of people say work but they really actually were excitements of mine so they're mm-hmm. not for everybody by right. any means um I started eating a plant-based diet because I wanted to explore that and mm-hmm. like, the combination of those things really just raised my vibratory state and out of a meditation at the end of that month create radical love so right this love is missing from creative businesses mm-hmm. and I, then I used the phrase radical love because I wanted it to really come from this unconditionally loved place uh-huh. this idea and I had this whole thesis around it and then you know created a calling statement out of that which is something else that's come as an influence through Bentinho's work mm-hmm. and Anurag Gupta's work mm-hmm. 
um, and well, just for the listeners, can you give a little definition of what you mean? What is meant by that? About the calling statement? Yes, just so they have a little bit of a definition. Yep. So it's a statement that one can align your whole life to rather than just aligning like to your professional role. Mm -hmm. So right, like it's not my calling as being a nurse Mm -hmm. or something like that, which is wonderfully, you know, a wonderful service to the world. But that's not capturing the full essence of who you are in every aspect of how you show up in your life, engaging with yourself and others. And so this particular format of a calling statement. And some people have developed statements like why statements or purpose statements, Mm -hmm. and it relatively all falls within a similar vein. I just really love the calling statement because it's like this umbrella overarching statement. It's like you're guiding you're guiding like North Star mm-hmm. for showing up in the world across all of your relationships and, and most importantly, the relationship with yourself because you can't give it to others unless you are aligning your life to that calling for yourself. So and then true. it's a really helpful way to check in on the intuitive stuff. Mm. Like, is this aligned to my calling? Yes. Or would this start to create limitation or is this kind of more coming from some other someone else's construct or a should or something. Oh no, this is aligned with my highest excitement. I feel really excited about it. And if I like imagine it against my calling statement, oh yeah, no, it aligns with that too. Okay. That's There's really just cool. these ways to help the mind like chill out a little bit. Yes. <laughs> when the hows want to pop in or the person self is identifying with itself and kind of, you know, creating confusion. It's like, oh no, this is a very simple way yes. to um, cultivate more trust of one's higher self. I like I've never, that. I don't yeah. think I've ever put it in that yeah. way before, but I'm just, as I'm saying it, I'm like, that's kind of what happens. <laughs> I love that. Cause I mean, the statement when you're making the statement is obviously coming from an alignment with your higher self. So then as you're measuring things against it, it's constantly like reminding you to come from that higher self intuitive guidance. So yeah, that's really great. And something that, and what I've always appreciated is that focusing on like a quality of expression versus the form that it has to take, because I think so many people get caught up in the form. Like you said, the nurse is the form, but what's the expression? What's the content of that form that can be expressed when the person is not at the job being the nurse, but when you're, you know what I mean? If it's some sort of service, some sort of outpouring of a quality of expression that can take a million different forms but that expression is, is your essence that's coming through. The essence. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the word that keeps coming through as you're describing it so beautifully with that phrase, the quality of expression. I love that. I don't think I've ever heard it described in that way. That really is helpful to me as well. Sure. Yeah, like, what is my essence? How do I show up? So mm-hmm. for me at that point, and, my, and your calling statement can ever evolve. It's not like it gets carved in stone, which I think also comes from conditioning that we're supposed to like commit mm-hmm. to something for the rest of our lives. No, that makes it super scary. <laughs> um, it is my calling at that point was people experiencing radical love, like people showing up in their lives, me showing up in my life, experiencing unconditional love. And what does that look like in like very practical terms and like the day to day, maybe like the food I make or cook for my family mm-hmm. or um, mm-hmm. like, yeah, who I'm spending my time with or what's exciting me professionally and the conversations I'm having. 
and then out of a deep meditation, create radical love came. I love that. I was actually had that as a question of where that came from. So it's so cool that it just spoke to you in a meditation. (laughs) The word create is fascinating that, you know, I always talk about love missing from creative businesses. And I think something just in my mind that connected them in that moment. And I was like, oh, people could create radically love lives and I'm creating one for myself right now. I'm feeling all of these changes. Oh, what if, mm. Oh, and look, I've been learning from <laughs> Teresa and Stephen as they're coaching me. So I've actually been taking notes, but I didn't even realize like, Oh, and I could guide people based on what's been happening with me because it's been so powerful. I could give this to others because we kept talking about being of service. Yes. And so that was really playing heavily is like, how can I show up and be of service in a way that's so fun and exciting and like, lights me up. Oh, well, this is the stuff I love to do the most. And so I wrote down my 12 session program and how I would work with people and like sort of a little like explanation, like tagline of Mm -hmm. what create radical love means because I knew people would need an explanation (laughs) because that could mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, and then the mind does what it does, which is like wants to keep you safe and bring in all of like playing back the tape recorder of your subconscious and was like, how? But are you credentialed? Do you need to take a coaching course? Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, now what do you do? And so I reach out to Teresa and Stephen. This is the beauty of having a coach. And mm-hmm. I was like, um, I think I'm going to be a coach. <laughs> and we all were shocked. They were like, what? Really? Okay. This is amazing. Like, what did happen? I was like, I'm going to withdraw from these conversations I've been having about these big full-time jobs. Because I kind of kept those in the background. just like plan B, you mm-hmm. know, for my mind. Yes. <laughs> and I felt ready to let go of those. We went on vacation for three weeks where I let this really sit and that helped too to pause and not like just react. Oh, and good so point. I did that. And then I released those other um, you know, conversations I was having, withdrew from those, and then went and registered the business. And they and Teresa and Steven walked me through the, you know, am I credentialed piece? Like am mm-hmm. I um do I have like the appropriate professional experience to say that like yes, I, I can do this, you know, mm-hmm. with integrity and safely with people, et cetera. And they were like, let's walk through that. Like, that's cool. <laughs> See, at that point, it was 10 years of sobriety and, and sponsoring a lot of people through that process and all that I had learned in that. It was many years of therapy. And I'm by no means a therapist, but just a lot of experience and self-inquiry from the yeah. psychological perspective. Then all of the years of the spiritual journey, 10 years really sure. specifically at that point. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, doing the coaching course with Teresa and Steven and being a client, but like taking notes the whole time. So that was like four months at that point. And then 10 to 15 years, you know, engaging with and supporting and guiding creative people's careers in various different roles and all of the professional um, um, experiences and um, expertise that came in during that time. And they kind of like called that out to me. And I was like, Oh yeah. Oh, Oh, Maybe I don't. And even the fitness and the dancing and like working with creative people and re-tapping into my creativity. It was like, oh, this is what I've been supposed I'm supposed to do this my whole life. I just didn't know that this is where it was gonna land up. And I love those moments. That's I love cool. when we are surprised beyond our wildest dreams that like this other thing is emerging that we could have yes. never imagined in our rational mind. 
I love that too. And, and just in general for the coaching industry, it's not like we can go to college and sit there and say, I'm going to major in coaching. Like that's not a thing. And so (laughs) most people come to it because of their personal journey and their personal experience that they've gathered through it. And they want to help others with whatever path they went through and help with a similar transition. So it all makes sense that all of your experience would have backed up exactly why what you were specifically there to do the type of coaching you would do the type of people you would work with I think it's perfect yeah and and yeah that played into it as well like oh right I've been a recruiter for many years I have a very active and available potential client base and people who I could say I'm no longer going to be a recruiter and and serve in that type of support for you but we could gather and talk and work through from like a blank canvas perspective, Mm -hmm. your highest excitement, how would you love to design or see your radically loved life play out? And when I started to just quote this idea with people, and that's the other thing I always say to people, if you have a new idea that you're playing with, talk about it with people. Mm. Don't hide it. Don't be afraid that there is some sort of, um, I think maybe it depends on what it is in certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. So I won't say that this is a blanket statement, but in general, if you're truly excited about something and you feel like there's an openness to share that it's like evolving with others, I think it's always really powerful to put it out there a bit and to start getting like, if somebody says, Oh my God, that is really exciting. I, I could, you know, I could see myself um, benefiting from that or, Oh, I can see some others benefiting from that. Well, then you're, you're having a conversation with the universe at that point. But if, again, you go back to I'm an individual and I need to figure this all out for myself and have it done pretty perfectly (laughs) in a package before I start sharing it, it won't happen. Right. There's too many times in that process to say it's not ready. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning of the conversation, staying in your excitement, sharing that excitement, having that excitement kind of like reflected and affirmed back to you. but. Also staying strong in yourself to know that if you bump up against someone who who doesn't reflect that excitement because of where they're coming from in their own journey, that you don't let that take you out either. Well, right, to have that discernment, to like be in that conversation where you share something and then someone does reflect back. And that happened to me <laughs> when I was letting people at the company know that I had resigned and I was like moving forward into something new, but I didn't know what it was yet. Because, you know, you'd say, oh, yeah, no, actually I resigned. And this is when I'm wrapping up. And then the next question would be, oh, well, what are you doing next? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, where are you going? And my response, and I, I don't know if I actively worked on this with Teresa and Stephen or if it just came from their modeling and their language, but I would say, I don't know. And I'm super excited. Oh, that's cool. Like, I can't wait to explore this unknown place and just like take a few months and, and see what comes. And inevitably, first, there would be like a look of shock and horror on most people's faces. <laughs> yeah. They're processing that, like what you're leaving and you don't know what you're doing next whoa. Mm -hmm. And then when I would say I'm excited, you could see them kind of shift into excitement. And Mm -hmm. then inevitably, like 90% of the time people would say, I want to do that. Yes, you're reflecting a freedom that that they haven't given themselves the option to see. Absolutely, right. But there's like a permission to actually take a break or try it differently. Again, everybody's circumstance Mm -hmm. is different. And some people might not feel that like they have access to that for whatever the circumstantial reasons might be. But for I would say for the group of people in that organization that I was sharing that information with, they probably had an an ability one way or another, Mm -hmm. even if they weren't able to see it, to do something like that and give themselves a bit of a break. And 
open up some space, right? And so, yeah, it's totally about how you, the vibratory state mm-hmm. in which you share that type of information with people very much, um, you know, then creates the response that you get back. I love that. And so now like having now, now this is like a couple of three years later, you've been doing the coaching business. Let's share with listeners what it, what your services are in like who your kind of your ideal client is that you're normally working with. Are you normally working with someone who's ready for this transition? Like you engaged in, in your own life or, you know, subsets of that. So I know you have a long-term coaching program. You actually do consulting with businesses. So let's just share just a couple, a little bit about your services so people know. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that Mm -hmm. opportunity. Um, Yeah, it's, I I have always been somebody who's liked working with a broad spectrum of people. Mm -hmm. And again, in like more corporate environments or in certain, you know, in something like recruiting where there might be like a certain level of experienced um, talent pool that you would work with, right? Like you wouldn't work with very junior people or whatever if you're doing executive recruiting. Mm-hmm. I always found that super limiting. So it's been really fun to develop a business breaking all of those rules. <laughs> um, and all of the rules of marketing and all of the rules of like you must know your niche consumer yes. and then you must communicate directly to them. And like, I'm like, no, I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> I love that. No. Um, yeah, all of that is so triggering and limiting to me. Um, so I started out by having these conversations with people who, you know, were candidates of mine as a recruiter who I knew we maybe had like a connection or an affinity in some way that if I brought this to them, I kind of talked about some Mm -hmm. of the spiritual stuff too, because I do ask people to connect more with themselves Mm and working with me. For some people that means like doing walking meditation or listening to sound baths or whatever it might Mm -hmm. be that like connects them more to this their self and other people it might be like whole hog woo to the nth degree you know could talk about other beings from other you know parts of the universe so i have a very broad spectrum in which i play in terms of helping people or just being of service to people in terms of connecting to themselves Mm -hmm. so that's one space that is broad the other space that it's broad is in like the type of um, life experience that they've had. So whether it's working with people who are more like newbie, like sometimes I'm working with students in college. I work with a university mm-hmm. here um, and we live in Richmond, Virginia now. So that was another one of the pivots and the shifts during the process of um, looking at our life and our quality of life and then becoming um, location independent. I realized mm. like, I could work. I had clients globally pretty quickly so I had a client in Costa Rica I had a client in London I had a client in LA and I had had clients in New York City and I was like oh I'm doing all of this over video for the most part I was meeting a few clients in New York City in person I'm like that could that could be the case wherever we were yeah if I was in some other city I could meet with those clients that are there in person and all the others would just switch to video so Mm -hmm. I was like whoa we can live wherever (laughs) flexibility (laughs) flexibility like like you you create the flexibility and then you see yourself already doing it. And that's another example of how this process can work. Like you actually start creating the change. You then are the change. You're already doing it. So then you can see that you could take the next step Mm -hmm. in whatever the next change is. And again, it's not scary and like ripping the bandaid off, even though I would say in a short period of time that I did a lot of that for some, that would feel like a really massive transition Mm -hmm. in a short period of time. It's, it's ultimately been a slow evolution. Um, I work with people again, so like students um, in that part of their life. I love working with young people 
young, awake, the collective consciousness for those sort of millennial and now mm-hmm. younger is phenomenal. It is. And you know, that generation has influenced me so much and for so much good. I'm so grateful for their lack of um, tolerance for the BS and mm-hmm. all the systems. Like, for some who are really connected to systems and structures, that can seem like it's an annoyance or that it's... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for um, when you just expect things to come to you? Like that, it, that oh, you that know, they're they, just entitled. Yeah, yes, that They yeah. should just live this like different life that's other than these systems. Heck yeah. <laughs> they should, we should follow, follow that direction. Mm-hmm. So I love working with young people. And then I work all the way through to people who are, you know, in a very well experienced mm-hmm. parts of their life and their career, whether it's founders, CEOs, chief creative officers, um, entrepreneurs, people, you know, out in the world creating and doing, um, on any level in terms of like where they are in their life experiencing. And predominantly I work with people, I would say in like sort of the marketing communication space, but it's really broadened in the last like year and a half. Oh, awesome. That was sort of the base because those were the connections and the contacts that I had that I, of course, just like tapped into immediately. And now it's, I would say it's usually people who are interested in being of service in the world in some way. So mm-hmm. whether they're doing that through health, wellness, medicine, um, like legal or financial support, but in some way they're wanting to do it in a new and different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I'm working with businesses and predominantly they're like smaller. Well, no, some of the um, advertising agencies I've worked with have been very large agencies. So from large advertising agencies down to like, small startup businesses where um, I may have coached the client who then starts their own business. And then I end up coaching a leadership team or the executive team or like the small founding team Mm -hmm. of a business as it continues to create itself and grow. Um, So yeah, it's a broad spectrum. I I love love working with all different types of people. It's what keeps me fulfilled and excited. And that's the whole cycle of service. Yes. I love that. And we'll definitely put your website and I'll put it in show notes and so people can find it, connect to you and um, sign up for some services if it feels like a fit. And Well, that's, that's one thing I will say. You said like sort of who's like my, um, my ideal client. I will say the commonality in all of those people in like the vast range of circumstances is a desire to live a more fully loved life. Like there's some sense of like, Oh, this part of my life is feeling really heavy or it's feeling unclear. So there's like that overarching desire. Um, Cause people just won't sign up with me if there isn't a desire. I like scare people. I think. Yes. Cause <laughs> then you become like this mirror onto their world that they're like, haven't asked for this mirror to be looking at where they might be able to right, make like- changes. <laughs> Yeah, do you really want to look at the whole, like, all the aspects of your life? I've definitely had people who've said, like, no, no, this is too much. <laughs> too I, I'm Actually, I think I really just need more of an ex- executive coach. Great. Like, go, that, I'm so glad you have that insight, right? Like, so I'm very, there's a very, like, self-selecting, self-filtering process that happens when people even just read the language on my website. Sure. Um, and the other piece is when somebody's in a fork in the road, when there's a real, like, I've been doing this thing this way for a long time in my life and I really want to shift it. So it's sort of a combination of those two elements that I would say more from like a profile perspective are the clients that I work with. Awesome. And that, and of course that makes 
that makes a ton of sense for what would match up with what you're here to offer. So I think, I mean, I feel like we've had like a wonderful conversation. I love digging into the different key points in your story as to when intuition was guiding you, how your spiritual journey deepened, how it's culminated into your coaching business that you now have as your service in the world, aside from just the energy that you're bringing all day, all the time. (laughs) Um, Mm. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all your insights and sharing your story and just being such an example of being a light in the world. So I appreciate you coming on so, so, so much. Is there, are there any parting thoughts or words or inspiration that you want to leave behind? Do you feel like we have covered all that you were hoping to share? You know, it feels really complete. I love your approach so much and that we speak so much of the same language Mm -hmm. and yet it can be um, like further um, described or explained or give like further context to people um, wherever they may fall on the spectrum of seeking and, you know, being in their own journey and their own path. So no, the conversation feels really complete to me and it, it really is just an honor um, to to be here with you. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show and we will connect again later. We are the love, we are the love we give. The music on the podcast is a song I fell in love with called We Are the Love We Give. By imaginary future. It's available everywhere music is sold.